I echo uh, Brother Chuck's statement about worship, and um, that's what we're looking at today is worship, but I have a lot of quotes in uh, your note sheet in the bulletin, but one of them that really stu- stood out to me is um, by Gerald Van, and it says, worship is not a part of the Christian life, it is the Christian life. And I, I, I loved how that's really the emphasis of the message today, and I haven't talked with Brother Chuck about that at all, um, but that was the emphasis point of his prayer, if you didn't notice, that it wouldn't just be about the songs we sing or what we do in here, or lifting our hands, but it would be about the life that we live when we leave this place. And that's what worship really is all about. And, and so this morning, we are, as we continuing in our series uh, on God's dream team, the church, and, and beginning again to look at the different things and the different uh, ideas of what it takes uh, for the church to truly be uh, the church he's called us to be or that he desires for us to be. We're going to look at this very essential topic, and, and I'm very specific in what we're looking at, and it is the topic of worship, okay? Worship. And, and the reason why I want to be very specific is because I believe in our culture today, uh, we have a lot of misunderstanding about what true worship uh, really is. But one of the things I've always liked hearing or, or listening to are, are uh, oxymorons. And uh, uh, if you don't know what the, those are, it's basically two words when put together, they're completely opposite words, but when you put them together, they make a thought. And then here's some of my favorite ones, like act naturally, okay, um, or good grief, okay, yeah, or sweet sorrow, uh, jumbo shrimp, okay, uh, I've never understood that. Uh, same difference. I use that one all the time. Same difference. How, how can I don't I don't understand that. Uh, pretty ugly. Okay, that's um, I've been called that a time or two. Um, uh, freezer burn, small crowd, and working vacation. I think I've done that a time or two. Um, exact estimate. Yeah, and uh, my, my favorite. Government organization. Yeah, that's, that's my favorite. Um, definitely d- doesn't go together. But here's another self-contradictory phrase that I hear sometimes, and that is boring worship. Boring worship. In, in various surveys, when people have been asked why they don't attend worship services or why they don't go to church, um, often one of the, one of the more prevalent replies is that church or worship is boring. Now, l- let, me, let me say that I recognize that sometimes a church service may seem a little dull, particularly to a lost person, I, and I understand that. I want to suggest to you this morning that true worship is anything but boring, because true worship isn't a church service. True worship isn't a song. True worship isn't reading your Bible. True worship isn't giving an offering. True worship is about something else altogether. However, each of those things that I mentioned are avenues for worship, but they don't define worship. And so this morning, as we begin to 
look at this, I want you to understand that the very essence of what worship is does not allow us to be bored. And, and I think about this because one of the quotes that's in the back of your bulletin there is by A.W. Tozer, and he wrote that any man or woman on this earth who is bored and turned off by worship is not ready for heaven. I want you to think about that for a moment. Any man or woman on this earth that is bored or turned off by worship is not ready for heaven. Now, as we begin to understand what worship truly is today, I believe that you're going to start to make sense of what that really means to us and that worship is anything but boring. And when we truly understand what worship is, it doesn't allow us to be bored. And so we're going to look at this today by looking at a couple texts. The first one is in John chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to stand with me for the reading of God's Word this morning in John chapter 4. <coughs> Excuse me. Jesus has encountered this woman at the well, and they kind of begin to talk and do some different things. And um, as soon as she realizes that Jesus is a Jew, uh, she begins to question him about worship and particularly that she was a samaritan and he was a jew so they had two contradictory ideas about worship and so jesus is going to answer her question about worship starting in verse 21 and listen to what he says we're going to read through verse 24 jesus said to her woman believe me the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in jerusalem worship the father you worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. Now, the second text I want us to look at is found in Romans chapter 12. So flip over there with me real quick. In Romans chapter 12, Paul is talking to the church in Rome, and he's explaining lots of things to them. But in Romans chapter 12, he gives them a very brief but precise statement about true worship. And it's found in Romans chapter 12, just in verse 1. Now listen to what he says. He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now some of your translations may say reasonable service, but the true technical literal translation in the Greek language is spiritual worship worship okay so what he's talking about is very specific when it comes to worship may god bless the reading of the word this morning you may be seated this morning and so in these two texts what we find are a couple of different areas where we talk where worship is talked about in, in scripture and, and the reason why i want to point out this first aspect this morning and that is worship is and we're going to be looking at the definition of it first is that many people today have a great misunderstanding about what worship truly or what true worship really is now normally if you ask someone what worship is in the american church the answer will simply be something like music or singing or praise or um, church or reading my bible even giving like in an offering uh, things like that. And while each of those, again, are aspects of worship, 
They do not adequately describe what true worship really is. In John chapter 4, Jesus uses the primary New Testament word that is used and translated worship. And it simply means, and it's used like four or five times in those verses that I read. <coughs> that particular word literally means to kiss toward or to pay homage to someone that is greater than you. Okay, to, to push or to kiss toward or to pay homage, and it's the concept of reverence for one who is superior to you. And we, we don't see this much anymore, but used to when, when people would encounter um, meeting a king, that he would reach his hand out and they would take his hand and they would kiss his hand. That was paying homage or, or showing respect for someone in a higher position of authority. In the Catholic Church, you will still see that. Anyone in the Catholic Church that meets the Pope will reach out and they will kiss his hand, and it, it, it's a demonstration of reverence for someone who is considered uh, in a more superior position than you are. And that's what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about paying homage or showing reverence and respect for someone who is in greater authority than you are. And that's what he talks about when he talks about worship. But there are several other words in the Greek that are translated worship in the New Testament. One of them is the words that I read in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, where sometimes it's translated service, but it literally translates and means the service and worship of God. Okay, the service and worship of God according to the requirements of the law. There's another Greek word for worship, which literally translates to, relent, to render religious honor. And then the last Greek word that you'll find in the New Testament that's translated worship literally means to revere or to adore. And so the New Testament, if you put all of those together to kind of get a broad understanding of what worship is in the New Testament, there, there's a man by the name of Ralph Martin, and he combined these different concepts with a single definition. I love what he said, so I want to give it to you. His name is Ralph Martin, and it's in his book, The Worship of God. He says, worship is, in the New Testament... The dramatic celebration of God in his supreme worth in such a manner that God's worthiness becomes the norm and the inspiration of human living. In other words, true worship is giving God his due reverence, his due homage, his due service for his supremeness to the point that it changes our inspiration of living from self to God. It's giving God what he is due to the point it changes the way we live. Instead of living for ourselves, we begin to live for him. And so when you combine worship in the New Testament, that's what worship is. It's giving God reverence and honor. It's giving him his due. Um, it is praising him. It's celebrating him for his supreme worth to the point that it changes who we are. Now, what could motivate that kind of worship? What could motivate someone to, to give God such reverence and such honor to, to pay homage to him in such a way for his, his supremeness because he's worthy to the point that it changes the man from focusing on self to focusing on God? What would motivate that kind of worship? I'm glad you asked, so I'm going to tell you. Um, 
Paul tells us exactly what it is back in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Look at it again with me. And this is the second thing for today, and that is worship is, and I want to give you the motivation for true worship. True worship is motivated. Look at it in verse 12, or chapter 12, verse 1 in Romans. He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable God, which is your spiritual worship. Paul very simply says that the motivation for true worship is the mercies of God. What would motivate us to giving God his due reverence and his due um, honor and, and to praise and celebrate him uh, with the way we live? What would motivate us to do that? Paul says the mercies of God is what motivates us to do that. This is one of the reasons why I believe True worship is, is limited today, and many of us do not experience it. Many of us want to worship because we feel like we have to or we need to, but we forget what truly should motivate us to worship. So what are the mercies of God? Paul says that's what should motivate us to worship him. By the mercies of God, what are those mercies? Well, you can really break down the mercies of God into two very simple categories. If you want to write them down, you can. The first category to define the mercies of God would simply be the things that God gave us that we don't deserve. God gave us things that we don't deserve. For, for example, God has given us eternal love. We don't deserve love. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, and we're all sinners. We don't deserve love. God has given us eternal grace. Where sin abounds grace abounds all the more. Thank God. We don't deserve that. He's given us the precious gift of the Holy Spirit, which is considered another counselor or comforter to us to help us in our time of need. We don't, we don't deserve the Holy Spirit. He's given us an everlasting peace and an eternal joy that, that we wouldn't have apart from Him. He's given us saving faith. That's right. He gave us faith. He, he, he gave us, he gives us comfort and strength when we need it and when we're weak. <clears throat> he gives us wisdom and hope. He, he gives us patience and kindness. He gives us righteousness and security. He gives us eternal life and forgiveness. He gives us reconciliation and justification, which reconciled be, means to be made right and justified. Um, I heard this definition one time, and, and, and I like it. And the word justified is justified, never sinned. He justified us. He sanctified us. That means he set us apart. He's given us freedom, and he's given us an advocate before the Father himself. That when we do mess up and we do make mistakes, and Satan takes that to the throne of God and tries to accuse the brothers, which is us, of what we do wrong, we have an advocate standing there pleading our case before the throne of God. We don't deserve that. And, and I could go on and on and on. But the mercies of God are the things that God's given us that we don't deserve. And sometimes we need to take a step back and realize all that he's given us. And then remember, we didn't deserve any of that. What would drive me to worship God with my whole life? Understanding what he's given me and I don't deserve it. It's a very humbling experience. But not only can we describe the mercies of God as the things he's given us that we don't deserve, 
You can also describe the mercies of God as the things that he doesn't give us that we do deserve. Things like condemnation. Things like judgment. Things like wrath. Things like death. Things like separation from him. Things like punishment. Vengeance. Hell. Those are the things that we deserve. But by God's mercy, he doesn't give them to us. What would motivate someone to give God his due reverence and honor and glory, to pay respect for his worthiness and his superiority to the point that it changes the way you live, the mercies of God. And that's what we need in our lives when we do the various ways we worship. Those need to be on top of our mind. And so worship is paying reverence to God, is giving him his due reverence, homage, and service uh, for his supremeness to the point it changes the way we live. It, it, it is motivated by simply the mercies of God that he's given us. That when we understand and, and, and have these incredible gifts, it motivates us to give God his due homage and service. But not only does Paul teach that true worship is motivated by the mercies of God, he also shows us the last principle, and that's where I really want to camp out on. And that is that worship is a way of life. It's not an event. It's not an activity. It's, it's, it's not um, a specific place, a specific day. It's, it's, it's not have to happen at a certain time, but... Worship is a way of life, and I believe that's a great mistake that is made in relation to worship that causes people to think worship is boring. Well, listen, if worship to you is an event, a place, a certain time, a certain date, yeah, those things can lend to being dull from time to time or being boring from time to time. I'll be the first to admit to you, not every sermon I preach sounds good to you. Not every sermon I preach makes you feel good. Not every one I preach makes you feel bad either. Not every sermon I preach is going to entertain you. Not every song we sing is going to be your kind of song or your kind of music. So if worship is a certain event, that lends itself to being boring from time to time. It's going to be dull. I'm telling you right now, there are times when I preach, I walk off and I'm going, God, are you sure this is what you've called me to do? Because it almost feels like the words get right here and just nosedive. Now, I'm not saying that's what they do, because I've actually found out that it's pretty much the opposite. When I think they nosedive, people get moved, and when I think I've hit a home run, nobody responds. It's amazing to me. But uh, what I'm just saying is, if we, if, we, if, we, if we say worship is a certain event, a certain thing, a certain something we do... It's going to lend itself to being bored from time to time. But that's not what worship is. 
Worship is actually a way of life. Now, how do I know that? Go back to Romans chapter 12 real quick with me. Listen to what he says very specifically. Paul says, I beseech you, therefore, my brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, now I want you to think about that for a second. Paul says that we are to present our bodies to God as a living sacrifice, which is our spiritual worship. Does that sound familiar? If it doesn't, let me just draw your attention back to John chapter 4 real quick. You don't have to turn back there. I'll read it for you. But in John chapter 4, listen to what Jesus told the woman at the well. He says in John chapter 4, But the hour is coming, in verse 23, and now is, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. And then Paul says that your spiritual worship is presenting your bodies to God as a living sacrifice. That's spiritual worship. Now, When we truly understand that, this understanding from from Paul in Romans is a picture. And it's a picture very specifically from the Old Testament where people would take their animals and they would offer them to God as a sacrifice. And, And Paul says we too are to make the same kind of sacrifice. Now listen, when they would take their animals to sacrifice in the Old Testament, that was worship. That was the way they showed reverence to God and give God his honor and glory for his supremeness and his worthiness. They didn't deserve all the things that God had given them. And so one of the ways that they would do this was through the sacrifice of animals. And then, and then Paul says, we too, we're to make a sacrifice too. But notice the very profound difference. The believer's offering is not to be the sacrifice of an animal's flesh or an animal's blood. The offering and the sacrifice that you and I are to make are our bodies. We are to offer our body as a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice. And then when we do that, when we offer God our body as a living sacrifice, that is our spiritual worship. So worship is not about an event. Worship is our life. Worship is our lifestyle. It's everything that we do. A.W. Tozer says, True worship, worship that is pleasing to God, radiates throughout a person's entire life. A.W. Tozer also said, God's purpose in redemption is to make worshipers out of rebels. That we were once walking away from God, couldn't have, didn't want to have anything to do with God, to turn and now to honor God with our lives as a living sacrifice is how we truly worship. So when worship seems boring, let me challenge you. It's more often than not because you have correlated worship with some kind of event that seems sometimes lifeless. Or dull. But worship isn't an event. Worship is a lifestyle. 
And the lifestyle is very specific, according to Paul. It's a living sacrifice. Now, let me explain that to you real quick in such a way that maybe this will kind of bring it all together. Because sometimes there's a misunderstanding about what a living sacrifice is. So let me, let me point out a, a four things real quick about what a living sacrifice is so we can truly understand that. A living sacrifice means a constant and continuous sacrifice, not just occasional dedication. A living sacrifice is a continuous act. It's not a one time and then not, or another time and then not. A person does not give himself to the Lord today and then take himself back up for his own tomorrow. And let me tell you, that happens a lot in church worship services, right? We come in on Sunday, we exalt God, we praise God, we, we read our Bibles and Scripture, we do all those different aspects or methods of worship, and then we're, we're yeah, we're God's, we're yours, and then we walk out on Monday morning and we don't give God a second chance or a second thought most of the time. <clears throat> not everyone and not every day, but there are days and for many of us, it's, it's more regular that we don't think about God than we do. That, that just the day before, yeah, God, I'm yours. And then the next day, God tells you to do something. Huh, me? No, no, not me, God. No. But a living sacrifice is continuously dedicated to him, not just on and off. So a living sacrifice means that the person is dedicated to live for God and to keep on living for God, not just here and there, not just at church on Sunday or Wednesday, but every day. A living sacrifice, secondly, means that the person's uh, sacrificed himself wherever he is. A living sacrifice doesn't need a certain place to be a sacrifice for God. It's just wherever the body is right now. You see, th this particular place, we don't need a particular place. We don't need just a building to, to sacrifice ourselves to the Lord, but a living sacrifice, if I'm a living sacrifice, I'm a living sacrifice every moment of every day, no matter where I'm at. So I don't need just a church to, to do that. It's just wherever I go. Whether or not that's in a church building on Sunday morning or in the restaurant on Sunday afternoon. I'm telling you right now, Church, I, I hope, I, and then this is free. If you go to a, a restaurant on Sunday afternoon after church, you better tip really well. Particularly if you're dressed in your Sunday's finest. I'm just telling you. Sometimes, man, we're living sacrifices for God, and as soon as we go to a restaurant on Sunday afternoon, I didn't get my food on time, they messed up my order, and we're anything but Christ-like to people. We don't need a specific place. It's wherever we are. Colton's in school. It, at school. Okay? Ivan, when he's at the shop, at the shop. Nidra, at school, is a school teacher. It doesn't matter where you are. Chuck's at a nursing home. Donna's at a nursing home. Cindy's at a nursing home. It's where you are. You don't need a certain place. A living sacrifice doesn't have to have a certain place to be a sacrifice. It's just wherever. Number three, a living sacrifice means that the person sacrifices their own desires to live for the Lord. That one's kind of hard. 
Because a lot of times our desires and God's desires don't always line up. But a living sacrifice is willing to lay down themselves so that the desire of God becomes fruitful every day. And then fourthly, living sacrifice means that the person lives for God by serving God. Serving God. Wherever he tells me to go, whatever he tells me to do. So if you want to summarize that, we are to dedicate our lives as a living sacrifice at all times, in all places, every single day. Worship is not an event to be attended. It's not a song to be sang. Worship is a lifestyle to be lived every moment of every day. And the church needs to have that kind of worship. Because the church is full of worshipers. If you read in the book of Acts, and you read the new church or the the early church history, you will find that when people gathered together, there were different methods of worship that they used. They praised, they sang, they read their Bibles, they studied Scripture, they listened to people's preaching. But if you'll notice, they lived it out every single day. Did you notice there's very few times where Jesus just went into a room and taught his disciples something very specific? He did do that. But Jesus just went around living life, and his disciples followed him, learning how to worship in the way they lived. You and I need to be that kind of worshiper. Not just a Sunday worshiper. Not just a Sunday night worshiper or Wednesday night. Not just on... Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, morning or evening, whenever we have our quiet time, worshiper. But we are to be a worshiper every single day. I said at the very beginning, well, let me say this first. Note real quick what Paul says is the result of that. Look, just real quick. He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Notice what is the response or what really results from that. Number one, it's acceptable to God. You know, there are times in in Scripture where God says, it is not a sacrifice or praise that I want. I want you. And this is what Paul says. A living sacrifice is an acceptable sacrifice to God. But notice else what he said. That is our worship. That's true Worship. I said at the very beginning that worship isn't an oxymoron. Let me rephrase that. Boring worship is not an oxymoron. But true worship is. Because true worship is a living sacrifice.